The title of this sermon is, Have You Seen a Miracle Lately? Assuming that you have seen one. The 11th chapter of the book of Mark, verse 12. And on the next day when they had departed from Bethany, he, Jesus, became hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, To it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Verse 20. And as they were passing in the morning the next day, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to, to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted you. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. I want to read a variation of this account in the 21st chapter of Matthew. You might want to look at that. Verse 21. Just the 21st verse of the 21st chapter of Matthew. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, look at this, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it shall happen. There's not anything wrong with anybody here this morning that a good miracle wouldn't cure. And you might be saying, well, that's what it would take for me. I mean, the problems I have, it would take a miracle to get out of it, to get over them. But actually, there's no problem this morning that a miracle couldn't solve. The problem is that a miracle never seems to be around when we need it most. You ever notice that? And you don't hear very many people talking about the miraculous things God is doing in their lives. You don't hear many folks at the coffee shop talking about those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, most of us would be surprised if something miraculous happened in our life. We read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, that resume of miracles of what God was doing in a miraculous way in the lives of these common people. And we say, well, that's well and good, but that's not going to happen to us today. That, wasn't, that doesn't happen now. 
Now, I have a degree from two Southern Baptist institutions, and I cherish those degrees, and I value their, the education of those two Baptist institutions, but I don't know if I was ever taught in a Baptist institution to expect the miraculous and that my ministry depended on that. What I was taught, and it's true, that the success in the ministry is dependent upon your preparation and, and your training. And that is true. But, but does that mean that God doesn't want to work miraculously today? Um, does that mean that that was meant only for them? And should we be surprised if God works in miraculous ways? Well, Peter was. This text is set in the context of the last week of the ministry of Jesus. And one afternoon they passed by this fig tree and Jesus saw that there were no figs on it and so he cursed it. The next morning as they came back past the fig tree, Simon Peter saw it withered and it amazed him. I mean it shocked him really. He was surprised. And you can just catch the, the amazement in the response of Simon Peter. He said, look Jesus, this thing is withered. This tree is withered. And there is the implication that he expected Jesus to be surprised. But our doctrine of God affirms that from the standpoint of his existence and his government and his love, there's nothing supernatural. That which appears supernatural to us was natural to him. And so he wasn't surprised. He just responded like this. He said, have faith in God. And what Jesus went on to say was this, I'm paraphrasing it, but what he was saying was this, Simon Peter, you shouldn't be surprised to see this tree withered, for if you learn how to trust me, and if you learn how to live in, in faith upon me, you'll see things more wonderful than the withering of a fig tree. You'll be able to say to mountains, be thou removed. I mean, this is nothing. You haven't seen anything yet. Now you may say, well, now that was meant for that day, but it's not meant for our day. I, I, you know, the only thing wrong with that is that it's wrong. When Jesus began his response to Simon Peter, he did it with the word truly. And if you've got a King James, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And when he began a statement like that, he was enunciating a principle which is true for everybody in any age. He was saying, now look, Peter, this is, a, this is a principle I want to enunciate to you. If you learn how to live by faith, you can speak mountains away. Now the question is, was he talking about a literal mountain? I mean, was this... Was he talking about stones and dirt? You ever seen anybody just speak to a mountain and it be removed? I don't think he was talking about literal mountains. In Jesus' day, they symbolized, mountains symbolized hindrances and obstacles and barriers. They prevented them from being and doing all that God intended. And what Jesus was saying is this, that if you live by faith, if you learn how to trust me, then there is nothing however formidable it might be, there is nothing in this world that will stand in the way that will prevent you from doing my will in life. You can say to those mountains, be removed, and they will. Now we need to get us a definition of miracle. This is a simple definition of miracle. This is, 
It is God doing something that only God can do. Can't be any simpler than that. It's God destroying what only God can destroy. It's God building up what only God can build up. It's God achieving what only God can achieve. I ask you, has anybody seen a miracle lately? Now there are three things that need to be said about miracles that go into this idea of living by faith. Number one is this, that Jesus is saying that this kind of power is released by faith and only by faith. I need to say it again because I want you to get this down. This kind of power is released by and through our faith and only by our faith. Now we have developed a tremendous rationale to explain our weaknesses. And we have a marvelous vocabulary with which we you know, rationalize and verbalize and explain away our impotency. I've been going to Baptist meetings since I was just a child. I've heard every kind of excuse for our inability to see the miraculous. I mean, I've heard it all, I think. A few years ago, we had, we had an emphasis in Southern Baptist life called the Year of Revival, and we were supposed to see more people saved and baptized than any other time in the history of the Christian church. The fact is, at the end of that year, they were less baptized than the year before. And a guy got up at the convention, state convention, and gave us, gave us the explanation for it. He said there was a, quote, shift in population. <laughs> Well, that explains it all. It was, everybody moved out of Oklahoma. See, we couldn't win them all. They wanted them over somewhere else. Shift in population. I'd like to have Jesus' explanation for it. I'd like to have Jesus come in here and explain why no miracles are happening. Well, we already have his explanation. If you want to look sometime at the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, he explains it for us. And there he was on the mount, transfigured in the midst of his disciples, and the effulgence of his glory shines. It was obvious this man was God. Down in the valley there was this little boy having uh, epileptic seizures perhaps. Whatever he, he'd have seizure, he'd fall in the fire. And there was this frantic father bringing him to the disciples. They, he, he, he was going to get them to cure him, heal him. And so one by one, these disciples took their turn in trying to heal this boy. I guess they went by alphabetical order. But Bartholomew, he gave it a try. He didn't do, and they went one by one down the list. The thing that made it so bad, what compounded the problem, was that in the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus gave them all power to cast out demons. And so they were helpless and embarrassed and ashamed. And whenever the, when Jesus came back and he healed that boy and the crowd dispersed, they got Jesus alone privately. They'd had enough embarrassment for one day. And they asked him, what's wrong? What happened? Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, he gave us his explanation. He said, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. I tell you, hear me now, every failure in the Christian life is a failure of unbelief. Every failure in the Christian life is a failure of unbelief. This kind of power is released by faith and faith alone. Now notice what Jesus said. He said, have faith in God. 
Now there's something in that statement, that response, that you will not, will not see unless you have a Greek New Testament. What, what, is, what is there is that God is in the emphatic position. It means that God has the emphasis. The emphasis is placed upon God. We place the emphasis on our faith. Now watch this. We seem to have the idea that the, the miraculous is dependent upon how much faith we have. And we place the emphasis on the faith. Listen, friend, the strength is not in your faith, but in the object of your faith. And so we say, well, I, just don't, I guess I just don't have enough faith. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is not on the quantity nor the quality of your faith. The emphasis, the, the strength is dependent upon the object of it. And I heard a man in a pastor's conference one time give a marvelous illustration of this. He said he was visiting some friends in Colorado and they went out driving one day and they were looking at this beautiful lake and so they got out to enjoy the scenery and there was ice on it, solid ice. One of his friends said, why don't we go out and walk out on this ice for a little bit? And, oh, he said, I could remember as a kid growing up down the south and people drowning in these ponds of ice, you know, real thin ice. He said, oh, no, you don't look at me. He said, well, man, people skate on that all the time. So he said in fear and trembling, he kind of got out about two yards out on the ice and then he hurried back to the bank. Didn't have enough faith. He said they got in their car and they were driving around the lake and they saw a guy out in the middle of the lake sitting right on a little stool out in the middle of the lake fishing. He just fishing away. Now who was the most faithful? I mean, did this man who was out there in the middle of the lake fishing, did he have more faith than my friend who just got two feet out on the ice? No, it wasn't the, it wasn't the faith that held him up. It was the ice. Watch this carefully. It is not having great faith in God. It is having faith in a great God. It's not having almighty faith in God, it's having faith in Almighty God. And he said after a little while, he said, we were talking about not being able to get out on that ice, I was so afraid. He said, my friend said, well, he knows the ice, that's it. His faith was dependent upon his knowledge of the ice, you see. And what he knew about the ice enabled him to get out in the middle of the, off the, off the bank, out in the middle of stuff and rest there, you see. What, 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 what Jesus is talking about is this. He said, if you learn who and what I am and learn to trust me, you can say to mountains be removed. And so Charles, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, stop making a savior of your faith. It's not your faith that saves you, but Jesus. Well, he said, a small faith will not destroy you. And then with eloquence, he said, watch this, he said, even a trembling hand can receive a golden gift so that without exception, perhaps one or two possible exceptions, everybody who came to Jesus came with a weak and inadequate faith. This faith is released through our faith. This power is released through our faith in the greatness of God. Secondly, this power is revealed, our, the, our, by the, I, let me back that up and say, our faith is revealed through our prayer. 
Now, does it kind of surprise you in verse 24 that he, he says, therefore, and, 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 and so he starts to make a practical, implic, a practical application. He starts, starts talking about praying. Well, you see, every time that Jesus talks about believing, he links it to asking, to praying. Because there is always a connection between your faith and your prayer. There is always a connection between believing and asking. Your faith is revealed in your prayer. Now, it's kind of uh, you know, popular these days and in vogue to, to try to minimize asking God for stuff. I read not long ago one person saying that petition, asking God, is the lowest form of prayer. And he went on to make this statement. He said, the closer you get to God, the less you ask God for anything. He said, when you really get close to God, all you'll do is praise. You won't ask. Well, I want to challenge that guy, if I knew him, I would, you know, to study the prayer life of Jesus and you'll find, if you study the prayer life of Jesus, that 90% of his praying was asking. In almost every verse in the prayer life of Jesus, he's asking the Father for something. You show me your prayer life, and I'll show you how much faith you have. It's like a child. It, it, a child asking his father well, that's an expression that he believes that he can ask his father and he'll, he'll do it for him. That's, that's what that does. I never did have any problem asking my daddy for anything. As a matter of fact, I remember my daddy saying, well, you think money grows on trees? You know, that didn't discourage me from asking. I mean, you think money grows on trees? I, that didn't keep me from asking. Your children have any problem asking you for anything? It doesn't, you know, it might kind of, you know, after a while it might kind of grate a little bit that they're always asking for something. Let me tell you what would be embarrassing. If your child went to the next door neighbor and said, could you give me something to eat? Could you give me some clothes to wear? Could you provide a bed for me to sleep in? My father won't do it. How it must grieve the father this morning that we turn to every source and resource in the world before Him. And the Father says, ask of me. And when we do that, it, it is a revelation, it is an expression, it is a description, it pictures that we really believe He'll do it. One last thought, please. I want you to see the progression of this. This power is released by faith, revealed by prayer, and regulated by forgiveness. Now let me show you something that really is a surprise. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Now that begins with the word and, which directly connects it to the word before. Now if there is a progression, what's this progression? That there is power released by faith. This faith is revealed by prayer. And this power 
revealed by prayer, released through faith, is regulated to our relationships, regulated to our forgiveness. That kind of surprises me. And then I get to thinking about it, that our Lord evaluates our relationship to Him by our relationship to others. And before He listens to our words, He examines our heart. And if He finds in our heart an unforgiving spirit and a severed relationship and a broken relationship, it affects the release of His power. Now you may have a world of faith, but if you have a broken relationship that needs to be fixed, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. And it just may be this morning that if you are not seeing the miraculous in your life, and if you're not seeing answered prayer in your life, it just may be that you need to take, an ex- you need to take a look, examine your relationships, because that might be what's the barrier. You ever thought about that? In the marvelous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us that marvelous, that beautiful description of what it means to pray. Listen to it. You don't have to turn, but watch. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks him for a loaf? Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your Father, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And we close this up and we say, well, that's the way it ought to be when you pray. And we don't go far enough. For the next verse reads like this. Therefore, And every time you see that word, therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? And he's about to give us a practical application to what he's talking about in prayer. He says, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, what's that doing in there? Now, let me tell you how we translate the golden rule. Without exception, this is the way we translate the golden rule. Whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. And we say, well, if you don't want somebody to smash you in the mouth, don't smash them. You know, if you don't want somebody to be dishonest with you, don't be dishonest with them. That's exactly the way we translate the golden rule. It's exactly the wrong way to translate. He's not talking about something negative. He's talking about positive goodness. And this is what he's saying. Whatever you would have someone do for you, you do that positive good to them. You go about doing positive good for others. And he links that to the answer to prayer. Don't miss that. He links that to the answer to prayer. 
And he's saying, if you want to be sure that you can see the miraculous in your life, you better start now doing positive good in the lives of others. The way you start, he said, is to forgive. That's the hardest place to begin, is to forgive. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That's right. You, there's no way you'll forget. That's not, that'd make forgiveness easy if you could forget, wouldn't it? You know, let, me, let me tell you what forgive, forgiveness is. It's tearing up the IOUs, and I'm going to give you this illustration that I'm through. You know what IOUs are? Counts receivable? I got some counts, accounts receivable, some IOUs. Every time the preacher doesn't speak to me, I say, hmm, I owe you one. I owe you. Isn't that right? Every time somebody kind of does you wrong, you say, okay, I owe you one. One of these days, I'll pay you back. I owe you one. Somebody doesn't, somebody's not kind to you, you say, ah, I owe, I owe you, accounts receivable. One of these days, I'm going to pay that back. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. It's tearing up the IOUs. It's saying, I'll not forget what you've done, but it won't matter anymore. It won't matter anymore. And somebody stood and told that a guy he knew owed him $50. Every time he saw him, he saw that $50. This guy was a preacher. He'd get up and preach. Fellas sit out and listen to him. You think, that guy owes me 50 bucks. Couldn't even listen to what he said. Every time a guy would pray, he'd, he'd think, and I wonder if he's asking God to give him that 50 so he can pay me. You know, he he couldn't, couldn't get out of his mind. He said, about two years, every time he saw him, he thought about it. He said, one day the guy came up to him. He said, I need your forgiveness. He said, I've owed you $50. I couldn't pay you. I should have come and told you for he said, I'm going I'm to write you out a check today for $50. He wrote him out a check. The guy took the check. He said, it cost me $50 to forgive him. He said, okay, now you wrote me this check. I'm going to tear it up. I'll never forget what went on, but from now on, it doesn't matter anymore. And he said, every time I heard him preach after that, I, I got a blessing. He said, every time I heard him pray, I, I, I was thrilled. He said, every time I saw him, you know what he did? He tore up the IOU, and it didn't matter anymore. There's not a thing here this morning, not a problem in this place, that a good miracle wouldn't cure. But that miracle is released through your faith when you ask God for it after you've taken care of the IOUs. Might be somebody needs to come up here this morning and tear up an IOU or two. Let's pray together. Our Father, now for this critical moment in this service, we pray that everything will be still and quiet.
and that we will hear the rhema, the word you speak to us. We don't have to be reminded the IOUs. We think of them every day. Remind us now, Father. Tear them up. To begin the positive good, the forgiveness and apology. And I pray this morning, Father, that those things that are necessary for the miracle, the miraculous work of God to begin in the human life, begin with me, with us, because I pray in Jesus' name.